scientism is uh, the very widespread and erroneous belief that science is all the real knowledge there is. In other words, that anything that cannot be understood through science really doesn't count as knowledge. Um, and my talk, the talk was entitled Monopolizing Knowledge because in a certain sense that's what scientism tries to do. See, the founder of the dynasty, old John B.'s father, William Rockefeller, uh, was a carnival sideshow barker who sold bottles of mineral oil for $5 a piece, and he advertised himself as the great cancer specialist. And so he sold these all up and down uh, through Pennsylvania and Ohio uh, when he wasn't running from the law because he also was a very famous horse thief. At the dawn of the 20th century, John Rockefeller's ruthless maneuvering, including bribery, price fixing, corporate espionage, and creating shell companies to conduct illegal activities, had won his Standard Oil Company control of 90% of U.S. oil production and made him the richest man in world history with a net worth of over half a trillion of today's dollars. In 1911, the Supreme Court ruled that Standard Oil constituted an unreasonable monopoly and splintered the behemoth into 34 companies that became Exxon, Mobil, Chevron, Amico, Marathon, and others. Ironically, the breakup increased rather than diminished Rockefeller's personal wealth. Rockefeller donated an additional $100 million from that windfall to his philanthropic front group, the General Education Board, to cement the streamlining and homogenization of medical schools and hospitals. A pill for an ill became his foundation slogan. In 1913, he incorporated the Rockefeller Foundation. A congressional investigation described the foundation as a self-serving artifice, posing a menace to the future political and economic welfare of the nation. Using his foundation's wealth and influence, and working with his friend Andrew Carnegie, Rockefeller dispatched educator Abraham Flexner on a cross-country tour to catalog the status of America's 155 medical colleges and hospitals. The Rockefeller Foundation's Flexner Report recommended centralizing America's medical schooling and reorienting these institutions according to germ theory, which held that germs alone cause disease, and advocated for the pharmaceutical paradigm, which emphasized targeting particular germs with specific drugs rather than fortifying the immune system through healthy eating, clean water, and good nutrition. With that narrative in hand, Rockefeller financed the campaign to consolidate mainstream medicine, adopt the philosophies of the growing pharmaceutical industry, and shutter its competition. Rockefeller's crusade caused the closure of more than half of American medical schools, fostered public and press scorn for homeopathy, osteopathy, chiropractic, nutritional, holistic, functional, integrative, and natural medicines and led to the incarceration of many practicing physicians. To reassure public politicians and press of its benign purposes, the Rockefeller Foundation declared its ambition to eliminate hookworm, malaria, and yellow fever. 
the Rockefeller Sanitary Commission for the Eradication of Hookworm Disease sent teams of doctors, inspectors, and lab technicians to administer deworming medication across 11 southern states. These ambassadors systematically exaggerated the medication's efficacy, glossed over its regular fatalities, and through the graces of Rockefeller's mercenary army of journalists for hire, ignited enough favorable interest for the foundation to justify the proposed expansion into the colonized world. The Rockefeller Foundation's carefully heralded public health attainments eclipsed popular revulsion for the many abuses Americans associated with the standard oil petroleum empire. Its patronage of the League of Nations Health Organization gave the Rockefeller Foundation global reach and an impressive cortege of high-level contacts among the international elite. The Rockefeller Foundation provided almost half the budget for the organization following its founding in 1922 and populated the ranks with its veterans and favorites. The Rockefeller Foundation imbued the League with its philosophy, structure, values, precepts, and ideologies, all of which its successor body, the World Health Organization, inherited at its inauguration in 1948. By the time John D. Rockefeller disbanded the Rockefeller Foundation's International Health Division in 1951, it had spent the equivalent of billions of dollars on tropical disease campaigns in almost 100 countries and colonies. But these projects were window dressings for the Foundation's more venal preoccupations. According to a 2017 report, U.S. Philanthropic Capitalism and the Global Health Agenda. The EDA 6 was opening developing world markets for U.S. oil, mining, pharmaceutical, telecom, and banking multinationals. Born in 1839, John D. Rockefeller would go on to become one of the great robber barons and industrialist tycoons of American history. By the turn of the 20th century, Rockefeller controlled 90% of the oil refineries in the U.S. through his company, Standard Oil, becoming, in the process, America's first billionaire. Of course, in 1911, Standard Oil was ruled by the U.S. Supreme Court to be an illegal monopoly in violation of antitrust laws and forced to break up. Like his father, John D. Rockefeller had built his success on illegality, cons, scams. Still, this was not enough for Rockefeller. He wanted more. At the time, chemicals made from oil, known as petrochemicals, were being discovered and developed in the U.S. This included the discovery that pharmaceutical drugs could be made from oil, which Rockefeller saw as an opportunity to expand his empire. The key was that petrochemicals, unlike natural health remedies, could be patented, presenting an enormous opportunity for Rockefeller profits. There was only one problem. At the time, natural, herbal, and traditional medicines were very popular in the U.S. Rockefeller needed a way to eliminate the competition, to create a monopoly in medicine, as he had done with oil. And so, he went to his good friend, Andrew Carnegie, another robber baron who had gotten rich through his monopoly of the steel industry and, incidentally, one of the country's leading eugenicists. Together, the two men hatched a plan to take over American medicine. 
From the cover of the Carnegie Foundation, they would send a man named Abraham Flexner around the country to report on its medical colleges and hospitals. After visiting all 155 medical schools existing at that time in the U.S. and Canada, he completed the seminal Flexner Report in 1910. Following the directions of his employers, Flexner called in his report for a total restructuring of the American medical system, most specifically for the pushing aside of natural and traditional remedies in favor of Rockefeller pharmaceuticals. The report even specifically mentioned the eradication of dissidents, appropriately since this is exactly what happened. Almost immediately after the report was issued, medical schools teaching things like naturopathy, homeopathy, electromagnetic field therapy, and so on, were told to drop these things or close. More than half of all medical colleges in the country did close, and many non-compliant doctors were demonized and even jailed. But Rockefeller and Carnegie went further, offering huge grants to medical schools and hospitals, so long as they only taught and practiced Rockefeller medicine, and allowed Rockefeller agents on their boards of directors to ensure compliance. It was the carrot and the stick, those who agreed got funded with big money. Those who didn't were crushed. In this way, all medical colleges in the country were streamlined and homogenized, with doctors all learning the same thing, how to use and prescribe Rockefeller's patented drugs. But, like any good monopolist, Rockefeller went further in seeking to consolidate his control. He took over the AMA, and emboldened it as the gatekeeper of scientific thought and witch-hunter of alternative medical practices. He took control of the FDA in order to control the approval process for new drugs. He even founded the American Cancer Society in 1913. Within a few short years, Rockefeller was in total control of the American medical system in both thought and action. The result of this takeover the product of this monopolist son of a con man and his eugenicist partner would become known as Big Pharma. That Big Pharma took over and monopolized American medicine, promoting their own patented profit-making products and suppressing all others, isn't even a conspiracy theory. In fact, it was recorded for all to see in 1953. In the early 1950s, U.S. Senator Charles Tobey enlisted an investigator with the Interstate Commerce Commission named Benedict Fitzgerald to examine allegations of conspiracy and monopoly in medicine. Tobey had become interested in the issue after his own son had gotten cancer and been given less than two years to live by orthodox medicine before pursuing alternative treatments and being cured. The resulting 1953 report, known as the Fitzgerald Report, was truly shocking. It concluded that Big Pharma had been involved in a conspiracy of alarming proportions. First there was the organized effort to hinder, suppress, and restrict the free flow of drugs which allegedly proven successful in cases where clinical records, case history, pathological reports, and x-ray photographic proof together with the alleged cured patients are available. 
On top of that, public and private funds have been thrown around like confetti at a country fair to close up and destroy clinics, hospitals, and research laboratories which do not conform to the viewpoint of medical associations. The report even noted that Big Pharma had conspired to suppress at least 12 promising cancer treatments, including mentioning therapy by name. It was an unfathomably damning report, making clear that the tentacles of Big Pharma conspiracy to suppress alternative medicine were everywhere. But as it turns out, the report did not go far enough. Oftentimes, when a new natural cancer treatment appears, the assertion from the medical establishment is that the new treatment is either unproven or disproven. There is no better example of what this really means in the era of Big Pharma than the case of a cancer treatment called Latro. In 1952, a year before the Fitzgerald Report, a biochemist named Ernst Krebs proposed that cancer was a deficiency disease which could be cured with a compound called amygdalin, found in over 1,200 plants, and most specifically in the seeds of apricots. By extracting this amygdalin from apricot kernels, Krebs created a product he called Latrol. Over the course of many years, Krebs conducted numerous lab experiments on animals which showed that Latrol was an effective cancer treatment, that somehow it caused cancer cells to self-destruct. By the 1960s, a doctor named John Richardson had picked up the research and had even begun treating human patients with Latrol. Unsurprisingly, the Rockefeller-controlled FDA launched a massive media campaign against Richardson and Latrell, claiming that the treatment was toxic and dangerous. By 1971, the FDA officially banned Latrell, and in 1972, they stormed Richardson's clinic and arrested him. But even after Richardson was jailed, people kept asking about Latrell writing to government officials, medical journals, and scientific labs, demanding answers. At this point, Big Pharma knew they had to put their foot down once and for all. They needed to undertake official testing which proved that Latrell didn't work. The testing would take place at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York City, and what would happen next would come to be described as one of the biggest medical cover-ups the world of cancer research has ever seen. The test would be led and directed by Dr. Kanematsu Sugiyara, known at that time as the preeminent cancer researcher in America. He had over 60 years of experience publishing hundreds of academic papers on the subject. As one scientist said, when Dr. Sugiyara publishes, we know we don't have to repeat the study for we would obtain the same results he has reported. In 1972, testing began, with Latril being administered to mice with many different types of cancerous tumors. At its completion, Dr. Sugiyara concluded that Latril stopped the spread of cancer, inhibited the growth of tumors, and acted as a cancer prevention. It even provided relief from pain and improved general health. This seemed to be incredible news, except there were three Rockefellers sitting on the board of Sloan Kettering, as well as a dozen more people representing companies making big money from Big Pharma. When they caught word of the test results, all hell broke loose, and another round of tests was ordered. Unfortunately for Sloan Kettering executives, the second round of testing only confirmed the first, 
except this time with two confirmed tests from the legendary Dr. Sugiura in the books, mainstream media was forced to cover it. Had a cure for cancer really been found? They asked. Sloan Kettering officials refused to speak with the media, refused to discuss the results or answer any questions, saying only in a pre-written statement that a third round of tests had been ordered in order to clarify the results as if they had not been twice clarified already. In this third test, a new wrinkle would be introduced. Dr. Sugiyora would be blinded. He would not know which half of the mice would be receiving latril and which half would be given a saline solution, as if this eminently respected scientist was going to somehow manipulate the results. After four weeks, Dr. Sugiyora could see which of the mice were being given latril, since mice in some of the cages had fewer and smaller tumors, while mice in the other cages showed no effects. Sloan Kettering overseers who were supervising the project confirmed to Dr. Sugiyora that he was correct. For a third time, latril's cancer-treating properties were confirmed, except Arguing that Dr. Sugiyora was no longer blinded since he knew which cages were which, Sloan Kettering officials shut the tests down. They would try yet again to get the results they were looking for with a fourth test. This time, not only would Dr. Sugiyora be blinded, but the mice who were receiving the treatment would be mixed together with those who weren't. Dr. Sugiyora warned that this was dangerous because there was no dependable way to ensure the lab techs administering the treatment would be able to identify the correct mice every time. And in fact, this is exactly what happened. Some of the mice who were purportedly only being given a saline solution saw their tumors stop growing. There's something funny here, Dr. Sugiyora professed. The something funny was that the treatments had been mixed, with many mice receiving some latril and some saline solution, just as Dr. Sugiyora had predicted. Yet in this case, the legitimacy of the results wasn't important to Sloan Kettering's Rockefeller board. Immediately they announced that results from the experiment do not confirm the earlier positive findings of Sugiyora. Then, they called a press conference, attended by most of mainstream media, and declared Latril was found to possess neither preventive nor tumor regressant, nor anti-metastatic, nor curative anti-cancer activity. The exact opposite of what the first three tests had shown. At the end of the press conference, the floor was open to questions from the media, which is when things took a dramatic turn. Do you agree with the conclusion in the summary statement? What is the conclusion? The conclusion that Leah told us that the effect is not cure or prevent cancer. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Of course, my results don't agree, but uh, I, I agree what uh, our institutes say. Why? Well, I don't know why, but uh, I think it's good. Uh, yes, I stick. I, I hope somebody able to confirm my result later on. Has any of you, any other of your results ever been disputed before in 40 years that you've been here? 
I'm here almost 60 years. Uh, nobody uh, disputes my work. Every paper I send to the publication or always accepted. Why not this? Eh? Why not this one then? Why not these results? No, these results are also accepted by publication. Journal of Surgical <coughs> Oncology. I'm hoping that somebody <coughs> able to confirm my results. The next month, Sloan Kettering executives appeared before a Senate subcommittee hearing to decide the fate of Leto. While it had been banned by the FDA in 1971, some states were challenging this decision. At the hearing, Sloan Kettering executives asserted, there is not a particle of scientific evidence to suggest that Latril possesses any anti-cancer properties at all. Totally ignoring the three full lab tests of scientific evidence from the preeminent cancer researcher in America, as a result of the testimony, Latrium was officially banned nationwide by 1980. Afterwards, Dr. Sugiyora was asked why Sloan Kettering was so against Latrium. I don't know, he replied. Maybe the medical profession doesn't like it because they are making too much money. When Big Pharma says an alternative treatment has been disproven, this is what they mean. But what about if tests were not done in a Rockefeller-controlled lab? What if one were to do their own tests, build their own case studies, and present them to the appropriate authorities themselves? One man provided an answer. Stanislaw Brzezinski was a doctor of biochemistry who immigrated to the U.S. from Poland in 1970, where he took up a position as a researcher and assistant professor at Baylor University in Houston, Texas. There, he discovered something which he called antineoplastins, naturally occurring molecular switches in the human body which Brzezinski asserted the body used to control cancer growth. At first, Brzezinski's discoveries were well received by colleagues. In fact, so impressive was his work that he was offered a tenured position in Baylor's Department of Pharmacology. He should have been thrilled, yet Brzezinski knew that if he accepted, he would lose his independence as a researcher. So he refused the position, instead choosing to found the Brzezinski Research Institute in order to continue his work. On his way out the door at Baylor, his boss warned him, Just wait, Brzezinski. They're going to kick your ass. In short order, Brzezinski and his clinic were investigated by local medical authorities for using unapproved medications, while the Rockefeller-founded American Cancer Society put antineoplastins on its unproven methods list, and those who had been funding his research pulled their support. In 1983, the FDA filed a lawsuit to get him to shut down his operation, and when this failed, FDA agents and federal marshals simply raided the Brzezinski Research Institute and seized over 200,000 confidential documents. Still, Brzezinski continued on. 
he raised millions of dollars through his institute to pay for clinical trials for angioplastins, money big pharma companies are more than happy to spend since they know they will recoup it when their products are patented. By the mid-90s, he was able to provide the FDA with 60 clinical trials, meeting the requirement for their phase one testing. For another decade, he worked, compiling hundreds more clinical trials, meeting the requirements for phase two of testing on his own at the cost of millions of dollars. In 2011, Brzezinski began phase three testing, which involves thousands of participants and can last for years, again, at the cost of many millions of dollars. He was closing in on the finish line by 2013, which is when the FDA stepped in and put a stop to the trials. The reason? They complained that the Brzezinski Research Institute was doing all of the testing when, of course, this is simply how the FDA approval process works. The only difference is usually the testing is being done by a big pharma company. Finally, in 2017, the FDA canceled antineoplastin clinical trials for good, refusing Brzezinski the right to even conduct the tests. Moreover, Brzezinski had his medical license revoked and was fined hundreds of thousands of dollars for his trouble. The point made by Brzezinski and his antineoplastins by Sloan Kettering's late-trail trials is simple. It's a case of you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. If testing is conducted in a Rockefeller Big Pharma laboratory, it will be repeated and repeated and repeated until it gives the desired results, no matter how manipulated these results might be. And if you conduct the test yourself, spending millions upon millions of dollars. The results will still not be accepted. Big Pharma controls the testing. They control approval. They control academic thought. But look closer, and it goes even further than that. Big Pharma employs 1,270 registered lobbyists in the halls of government more than two big pharma lobbyists for every member of Congress at a cost of over 200 million per year. We're getting rid of them. All kinds of, of nutritionists and use, people using natural substances. We're getting rid of them and we're gonna take over this system and we're gonna patent products and we're gonna be in control of people's health. And I personally think they went so sinister they said, we're actually gonna destroy people's health and make a fortune and take over the assets on this planet while we do it. Because as we get sick with their stuff and we give them our money thinking that their stuff is going to help us, they buy up all the stuff, which is what they're doing right now. Who owns most of the farmland in the United States right now? Bill Gates. Right? Pathetic creature. Forgive me, I'm just blunt sometimes. Because I'm angry, as I should be. I'm happy, but I'm angry too. Okay. So anyways, there you have the Rockefellers coming in in the early 1900s and setting an agenda to take over health care and make it sick care, right? And make a fortune off our fear and off manipulating and lying to us. <clears throat> what else did they give us? 